0: Welcome to another episode of a Novel Evening. I'm Danny. I'm over on Instagram as at Blotted Ink Books. <laughs> the tapping you might be able to hear in the background is my lecture, Gus, um, <laughs> just in case he's muscling his way into the recording here. And for this episode, I'm going to be joined by Winnie M. Lee, author of Complicit. Um, I'm hoping we are all very familiar now with the Me Too movement, with Time's Up with the exposure of really predatory behaviours within the film industry. And her novel dives into this. It examines the power dynamics at play, uh, the repercussions of such power dynamics as well. Um, It is getting incredible reviews across the board. I'm so excited to dive in with her, chat with her all about the novel, um, and of course check out her novel Evening. (laughs) a massive hello to Winnie hello
1: hello good
0: evening good evening how are you how are you doing with the heat wave
1: (laughs) I'm good I mean like you know it's one of these things where like you want the weather to be hot and then when it gets hot you're like oh god it's it's so hot right so um yeah I'm lucky I'm out sort of in the middle of the countryside so there's lots of green and trees um I live in a 400 year old stone cottage and stone cottages are quite nice in a heat wave because I think keep things nice and cool so yeah yeah, life
0: could be worse it could yeah you've done all right because I
1: bet in the winter you don't feel that way no I mean the winter is miserable out here (laughs) Um, that's when you wish you weren't living in a 400 year old stone cottage but summertime it's great
0: when a heat wave comes it's it's time to shine for like the old construction (laughs) exactly (laughs) my house is like it's either it's so well insulated that winter is great, but like now it's just a heat box. It's horrendous, right? Which, so, yeah, okay. Britain is not. We're not cut out for any extremes in temperature. We can just do like
1: average yeah yeah so I mean global warming will be interesting to see what happens in the next few years yeah. or decades um, in terms of you know what we can put up with in this country
0: yeah it's wild isn't it you know when you've got like you know runways are melting and train lines are are not working we are just our infrastructure is not made for anything above 29 degrees
1: <laughs> um, <no. laughs>
0: we cannot cope but thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me so I reached out to you I did a, a poll on my Instagram, of authors that friends of mine, other bloggers, would really like to hear me chat to. And a friend of mine, her name is Emsal, at Let's Get Reader she loved your book. Um, As soon as she read it, she was like, you need to read this book. It's amazing. You'll love it. She was correct, obviously. Um, And she was like, you are the top name that she would like to hear me chat with about your book. And obviously, your book is is one that shines a spotlight on, you know, something we've all heard about, the Me Too movement, Time's Up, Um, perhaps a little less nowadays. I feel maybe Mm. some of the media coverage has really quietened down.
1: Yeah, or it's gotten, you know, there's a bit of a backlash or people are questioning if Me Too is over. So it's kind of entered like a different cycle of... I guess, the, the news cycle in terms of, of that issue, yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you obviously wrote the book, it focuses predominantly on the film industry and kind of power dynamics within that.
1: Yeah. When you are kind of
0: releasing it, were you kind of aware that the kind of conversation had perhaps died down a little about this subject?
1: Um, I mean, so the funny thing is, obviously it takes a long time to write a novel and also it probably it, do, it does take a long time for you know the deal to be made for the publisher and for the publisher to... Um, you know, put all the the gears in 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 order to get the book out there. So, I mean, I started writing the book in twenty eighteen, probably just six to nine months after the Weinstein allegations broke. So at the time, it was very fresh, right? Now we're in 2022 when the books finally come out. Um, but like, you know, I don't think. Um, so at the time, I wasn't really thinking about like when, when the book would be coming out and where we were in in the Me Too hashtag Me Too news cycle. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, you don't have any control over these things as an author. I mean, I just knew that the the topic was, fine on some level, it's timely, but it's also timeless because, you know, these kinds of abuses of power, gendered abuses of power, um uh whether or not that's in the film industry or in many other different industries or in many other scenarios have been going on for you know as long as human history so Um, So on one hand, it's like, ooh, it's headline grabbing, it's blah, blah, blah in terms of the subject matter. But I also, you know, especially someone that is an activist around this issue and a survivor know that it's kind of a a centuries old story, you know. So um, but let's, you know, let's take advantage of the fact that it's in the headlines and let's kind of try to create a novel um, which can dramatize some of the things that we've been seeing in the news stories and maybe deepen, deepen our understanding of them also.
0: Yeah, it's, I think for you as well, you are very open on your on your social media accounts, mm. with your experiences. You say you are an activist. How does it feel when you're putting experiences into novel form to then put that out into the world? Does that feel very different to your own, you know, when you're personally sharing your experiences to then putting it into a fictionalized setting? Does that feel very different?
1: Yeah, really different. And but I prefer putting it into a fictionalized setting because, you know, there's a certain um kind of honesty and rawness that you can't escape from when you're when you're sharing your own story directly as I sometimes do with the media um you know that's it that's my experience and I'm kind of laying everything bare um whereas if you're turning it and using that experience and but kind of creating fiction around it or using it as an inspiration for fiction you have a lot more control over it right as a storyteller right um so you know my experience with sexual violence is really different from what happens in the novel um and I and I sort of just wanted to create use fiction to kind of create scenarios that I'd never experienced in real life, but that I felt could be really realistic, mm-hmm. um, based on having worked in the film industry. Um, and to kind of create a scenario that that also spoke to, um, I suppose, certain experiences that people hadn't heard about necessarily, um, in in, the, in those headlines, right? Because, you know, there's headlines, and there's like a paragraph, or maybe, maybe like a, a 2000 word article, if you're lucky about someone an individual's experience, but yeah you know, that's nothing in terms of being able to really capture the whole breadth of a human life and how a human life can be impacted by these abuses of power in the workplace. Um, so I kind of wanted to follow. So Sarah is the main character yeah. and she's grows up and she's obsessed with movies and she wants to work in the film industry, but her parents are immigrants from Hong Kong and, you know, she works at her parents' Chinese restaurant. So she's got no immediate in or immediate access to that kind of industry so just the struggle to get in there and to get a job where you're just photocopying scripts you're making coffee for someone you know a really menial job which is your your foot in the door yeah that was quite hard for her so I kind of wanted to follow somebody like that who has no immediate access to the industry but is really really passionate about making yeah. movies and then just learn how her whole journey into filmmaking it suddenly gets gets challenged um in very difficult ways by by pe- the people who are running that industry. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to bring that to life. And I felt like you couldn't really do that just having read, you know, a, a single headline, right? That's Oh, of,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Know. And obviously the journalist that she's retelling the story to is male. Was yeah. that something for you that was important to have kind of because obviously he's encouraging and his perspective is incredibly encouraging that's something that you consciously thought about as a decision
1: yeah I mean I I certainly wanted to highlight the difference between Sarah and obviously by the time she's telling her story to Tom Gallagher who was who uh-huh. the journalist um you know she's 39 so it's 10 years after the time she used to work in the industry so I wanted to make a big draw a very big difference between Sarah who's a child of immigrants who's had to work very very hard to even get into the film industry um and this very privileged actually like 26 27 year old uh white male journalist who um you know might be inspired by certain real life journalists but at the end of the day I, I made him quite fictional as well because I just wanted I kind of present him as a almost like a young Kennedy or like a scion of like a very very established east coast family who for whom somebody like that being able to have a you know a career in journalism or media or what have you is actually quite easy because you've got so many connections um so there's a level of privilege that the journalist has and is it easier for a, a young man to be telling these stories because he has access to his voice being heard yeah so you know there's a kind of complicated dynamic there because on one level sarah's quite you know jealous of the privilege that this young man has but then she's also aware of like oh he he is the person that can allow us allow these stories to be heard um yeah so I think throughout the throughout the novel she's quite wary of how much she wants to reveal to this young man who's got so much more privilege than she does um and can she trust him or can she not um yeah so I guess I want to explore all that and also just highlight the fact that you know we do need male allies if we're gonna kind of challenge the things the kinds of abuses that are happening right now
0: it's very interesting you say you know the kind of the abuse of money and power starts so early on because as you say you know the internships are usually ones that are awarded to people from these bigger families you know people getting spots at major universities i mean i don't know if less so in in britain but certainly i I know in america there's you know there's a kind of a a hierarchy as it were so it's really interesting that these are privileged men and women who manage to kind of get in at these higher levels
1: Mm, and as you see
0: there are people really clawing their way up
1: through the industry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm at sneeze right there. Um yeah, no, absolutely. And and like so, you know, there are people that claw their way their ways up and and are able to succeed on that level. But then there are people for whom it was incredibly easy and their dad just had to make a donation and they get into the right university <laughs> yeah. or or call a few friends and they get that internship that then leads to, you know, um that leads to the job that they want. Right. So and that was something that, you know, I wasn't Aware, you know, my parents were immigrants from Taiwan. So I probably had that, the former route where I had to sort of claw my way up. um And I didn't really become aware of those kinds of privileges that other people had until like my early 20s. And I'm like, oh, well, wow. some people like their parents can just find them jobs, <laughs> right? you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, all, you know, my mom saved all this money just so she could try to afford our college education, right? And yeah. so that level of, you know, so I grew up with this level of frugality that. I think a lot of people weren't even didn't even have to deal with right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, like people have some easy ways in, and other people have more difficult ways in. Um, and so that's why it makes it that much more crushing if you're somebody who's kind of fought their way into an industry all yeah. the way up, and and then you were abused, or your your um, your willingness to work hard is suddenly exploited by someone else, and not even just work hard. You know, your willingness to be there and to. To answer you know to follow orders is abused and, and even in a much more sinister way, you know is, yeah. is what happened with me too,
0: yeah. and it like you know when when everything came out with Weinstein, the headlines were very much focused on the, you know, the big name actresses that were coming out. But there were so many stories of very yeah. young women who were working as assistants, yeah, being put in positions that were so uncomfortable, you know, for the for the actresses, awful. but they were also in a position of power. Mm. And then you've got women who are completely, you know, when you're in that position, I can't even imagine how you can even begin to contemplate challenging something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's impossible.
1: Yeah. And, you know, team was very clever and when he, you know, forced or coerced women to do things for him sexually, he, he would generally target young actresses, like up and coming actresses. So I sort of wanted to explore. Yeah. if so Sarah goes through this scenario. She's also very good friends with, uh, an up-and-coming actress yeah. named holly randolph um who now 10 years later is an a-lister but back then you know right. that was they were working on the film that launched her career so i kind of wanted to explore that dynamic as well like sarah's very conscious of the fact that you know here's here's this here's this other name which is a huge name now and could sort of blow open the news cycle right yes. if, if she's in a headline um and then but her story, Sarah's own story, is quite hidden next to that. And how is it tied to Sarah, to Holly's story or to stories of other women who may have been abused by this, this Weinstein-type mm-hmm. figure?
0: And as you say, these are stories that are time... You know, the, the casting couch is something that's been talked about for as long as movies have been, you know, on screen. It's it's well known. I think it's when stories like this come out and actually you realise, I have been aware. Mm. I have been aware of these situations. I've heard it mentioned, you know... I'm not in those circles, but I've heard of, you know, what goes on. And it's really shocking how much the world can tolerate and accept and deal with. And it actually takes such a huge amount of it to be propelled into the spotlight before we go, oh, actually, it's not right. It's yeah. it's genuinely shocking, isn't it? When you yeah.
1: yeah. And if you go back even centuries ago, I mean, before the film was even invented, like, of course you would have. And you still have, you know, you know, wealthy men who have young women that work as their maids or work you know as house servants right and I mean that's been going on for centuries millennia even um you know or even if you look at kind of industrial age uh you know workshops like forming yeah. like the, the girls that worked under her and, you mean, know, there were so much so many abuses of power that happened and that never got recorded that will never be known in history um so now we live in an age where actually these things can be recorded and people can start speaking out as they did in 2017 yeah. um so i kind of i wanted to kind of acknowledge that that now at least find these abuses of power are still happening but at least there's a way for these stories to be told and for women to be believed um, and taken seriously.
0: So M. obviously came forward with your name. She loved the book. And she has asked if she could ask you a question. Sure. So, Hugo North's character is one we've seen across social media and media outlets, but we don't hear about the victim's stories and their perspective on what happened and who these people in power really are. Is this something you were conscious of when you were writing this novel?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wrote the story because I wanted to not focus on the perpetrator right yes. so if you yeah. looked at all the coverage of Weinstein like yes Alma Hayek and yes you know Gwyneth Paltrow and all these like big name actresses you know their stories came out but off they were like very long articles and like how did Harvey Weinstein become the monster he is etc cetera, etc cetera. um And quite rightly, you know, I think we do need to look at that. And like in my first novel, I looked at kind of the makings of a perpetrator. Um, But, you know, I was just very conscious of here's one person, one individual, and he's kind of ruined or damaged the lives and careers of hundreds of women. Let's look at the women's stories, right? And Ah. look kind of long term at how one individual, one woman's career and life would have been permanently affected by Something yes. that happened with something like that. Um, so yeah, for me it was really important to really solely focus on on Sarah. Um, even though I do also sorry. Don't worry. Let me just okay. So for me, it was important that I solely focus on Sarah, even though I also then weave in stories yeah. of other women who Tom Gallagher, the journalist, is interviewing, just so we can kind of get different perspectives um on people that used to work with Hugo Nora. Yeah. Um, but for me again, it was always women that I wanted to show kind of a sort of a a panoply of women's voices, some of whom aren't actually sympathetic to victims um, and some of whom are actually quite blind, you know, for generational reasons or for power reasons, quite blind to the vulnerabilities of young women um, in the industry.
0: I think in many different forms as well, I know I'm I'm a big fan of true crime and the Mm. shift has really changed over recent years from perpetrators and what makes them tick and what to actually looking at victims and making them real people. Because I think it's very easy to focus on the individual and what they do. And kind of, yeah, forgetting that these are people with lives, with stories, with thoughts and hopes and dreams of their own yeah. that are destroyed, that are no longer tangible. Um, and I definitely feel that there's a shift in the narrative that's happening now with with stories across crime of focusing yeah. on victims and their families and their lives, um, which I think is really needed. I really do think that's something that's been needed for a long time to bring those stories you know I think it's really admirable as well that you've you've been so vocal um and I think you know is that ever something that does it ever cross your mind when you're being open or have you always just wanted to to be open and honest
1: I think I've always wanted to be open and honest I mean from the very beginning um you know I was my rape took place in 2008 um, so, I mean, that's 14 years ago. Right. Um, so I can't, but from the very beginning, I was quite open, you know, I, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I, you know, I called a friend and she called the police and, you know, so I kind of, I, I didn't really have that many moments where i was like do i talk about this or do we not talk about this for me immediately i just needed help and so the police came and that was great um and then i did tell my friends after like the week it happened because i just felt like i you know my life had changed so dramatically in the course of an afternoon um because of because of this rape that like I couldn't try to hide that right so i think that level of performativity that sometimes victims have to do to just get by in real life which i did have to do i mean in a lot of other instances um you know you can go to your friend's birthday party and have to try to pretend that you're normal when actually yes. you know your life is falling apart so that level of performativity is something that actually plays a role in in this in complicit because you know on some level you know, we're all performing to different expectations. So, you know, as a young woman working in industry, there's a, there's an expectation that you're going to be competent and capable, and especially in film, and especially in media, there's this kind of facade of, yeah. of competence and attractiveness that you have to put <laughs> up, right? Um, and, and there's such a huge gap between that facade that you feel compelled you have to maintain and some of the actual trauma and some of the actual bullying that happens behind the scenes. I um, mean, that's even more um exacerbated if if you're somebody like holly who's an actress and you know is to to smile and look good on camera right um so that thing about facades and performance is something i definitely want to explore in complicit because i think that you know that's what the film industry is all about like this this facade that we all put on um and the facade you know the artifice that filmmaking itself is um versus the reality of you know what experiences are actually like
0: it's really I think as women um I think across the board you know I I speak as a woman I'm sure this is also true for many men as well I think there are a lot of taboos in our lives that we're kind of taught you don't talk about you know reproductive rights you know having an abortion having a miscarriage um you know perhaps having an affair you know with somebody else if you're not in love with someone you know there's so many things I think as women we're told we don't talk about that you know that's not polite conversation to have and it's really refreshing now I have a daughter. Um, I have very, very close female friendships now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like now there's kind of a bit of a revolution happening where we are talking about these things on a social platform as well. Um, You know, I had an abortion a a few months ago. I'm a mother of two. And it was really refreshing to be able to actually vocalize that. And I thought, actually, I'm not, you know, because like you say, people are going to notice I'm not on social media. They're going to notice I'm not out and about. You know, I've put that on well. And it's kind of refreshing now to be able to be like, actually, no, this is I'm going to tell you my story. And hopefully, you know, somebody will read that and feel like, oh, okay, I can also talk about my story. And I do love that there feels like there is this revolution happening of honesty, which is really
1: refreshing. Yeah, yeah. And you're also kind of, you know, there's always sort of an anxiety on some level. I mean, maybe not for me so much, because it's just like kind of my job right to talk about this now. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people, there's an anxiety about like, if I share my truth, like, are people just going to look at me weird? right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And that does happen. And, and I think a lot of that is just, you know the fact that our society isn't very well educated in terms of how do we talk about things like rape or abortion or miscarriage what have you all like the dark things that do happen in our lives that we don't feel like we can actually talk about publicly such
0: regularity as well these are things Mm -hmm. that aren't that don't just happen once in a blue moon to you know one woman this happens daily throughout the world
1: yeah yeah so that kind of these things, which are pretty almost like intrinsic struggles that a lot of women have to deal with, but that you know, obviously not everybody experiences sexual violence, but we all deal with sexual harassment on some level, yeah. or miscarriage or abortion or any number of other things. Like, you know, these are hidden. Sufferings, right? You know, um and you know, I'm, and then obviously have their own struggles as well. But you know, there is such an expectation that we may perform this facade of like everything's fine, and you know, we're all great, yeah. productive, like high achieving <laughs> people in some ways. Where you're like, no, I mean that that's really a bit ridiculous. Like, I mean, even I go on Instagram, and like maybe I'm a bit guilty, but also, I mean, you know, on Instagram, people are always presenting these images of their lives yeah. are great and.
0: I'm <laughs> saying I'm guilty I'm definitely guilty of it I was so I can't speak for you obviously but when I did put my story out there and I said mm-hmm. the amount of messages that were like I went through something similar a few years ago and I really wish that I could have just said you know I wish I could even just told like one friend instead of feeling mm. like I had to I think it's like you say these are intrinsic things that happen yeah and yeah. bizarrely they're the things that were talk like just don't talk about it like it's just better if you don't talk about it um yeah. And I think the more that novels such as yours come out and are being picked up and read, hopefully that conversation will just continue to grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. And so, yeah, with complicit, I guess I was trying to look at that silence or that expectation that we stay silent and how that, you know, compounded over you know a decade in Sarah's case, how that affected her life. Um, And then if you compound that over the number of women that, Mm. were possibly abused by this particular individual, then that's actually that's a huge number of women. That's yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge number,
0: number of years and women and the numbers suddenly are massive, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and talent as well. I mean, because then what ends up happening is a lot of people like Sarah, you know, end up leaving the yeah. film industry. So then you have all those stories and those talents which don't go into the industry. Um, and then you just end up having a bunch of men still <laughs> telling their stories and, yeah. and directing films and writing films, which is, you know, pretty much how the industry is right now, even though that's yeah. changing. But um, the loss of talent, I think, is something I really wanted to um, meditate on, I suppose, um, really in that book. Yeah.
0: Thank you for, for deep diving with me into your novel and, and for sharing with me. This has been really interesting. And now we're going to dive into your, your novel evening that you've got planned. So we're going to go into your fictional evening. Um, Mm -hmm. I have absolutely no idea what to expect, although you've told me there's some historical figures are going to be making an appearance, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so I suppose the the brief you said was just to create like an ideal dinner party, right? Yeah, the,
0: the brief is pretty much anything goes okay okay
1: so, <laughs> well with that in mind in terms of the setting like i want a setting that actually changes every say 20 minutes I, I don't know how long this dinner party's gonna go on for but like i was thinking of something like you know cloud atlas by david mitchell yeah, which yeah, is yeah. One of my favorite novels so you know how like that is changing all the time so it's like a completely different setting so mm-hmm. it'd be the same people eating dinner but then like it would switch settings and and centuries and stuff like that right so it might yeah. start off with like a mad tea party type scenario in Alice in Wonderland and then it would switch to like I don't know Anna Karenina and we're all like you know yeah. 1940 Russian aristocrats right you know um so like that and then I don't know what would what would that change to from there um Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and suddenly we're all like eating yeah. stuff you know maybe you pop
0: by Ancient Rome after that or something yeah so like exactly half an hour. so
1: yeah, so a constantly sort of changing scenario where you're then reacting like so. It's not just the, the dinner party and the guests and what they're talking yeah. about. Like we're all sort of reacting to yeah. this change in setting. I right?
0: like that you found a loophole here and you've really gone with it. I really enjoy yeah. that because no one's thought of this, so I'm absolutely on board.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's almost like I mean, okay. I'm American, as you can tell, so I didn't grow up watching Doctor <laughs> Who, but you know, I, I suppose you can that like. Yes, yeah, like thing <laughs> that, that sort of what do you call it the, the
0: police box the TARDIS the
1: police but the TARDIS right and then just move around from like why yeah. stick like one that.
0: place if you can manage to fit like 10 into an evening do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah no that would be okay. really cool. Okay yeah. I
0: love this I love this idea. Okay. Who's the first person you're gonna bring on board?
1: Virginia Wolf. Ooh
0: okay I'm not sure she'd be the most fun at a party
1: no, i mean but like who said this is i mean you know i mean the if you're if you're in a scenario where you're constantly changing settings like that is fun in and of itself exact right?
0: that's so, true like- i feel like even virginia might have some real excitement at some of the places that we're gonna turn up at
1: yeah and even if the guests themselves aren't that interesting like or, or you know, aren't okay i mean yeah. <laughs> there wasn't with them chosen but even if the guests themselves aren't like the best conversationalists like yeah. it doesn't matter because you're fleeing through different worlds and stuff. i would look i'd
0: really like to actually speak to virginia wolf and find out what she was really like because there's so many mm. stories about her and there's so yeah. many you know books and films made about her what would it actually be like to actually talk to her?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, she could have been incredible. Well, no, I, I mean, I haven't done any research on Virginia Woolf. So who do I know? What do I know? But did, did people say that she was a sparkling witty conversationalist or was she quite? Oh, uh... I,
0: well, she must have had, because she was part of kind of a, a group of women, wasn't she? That mm-hmm. were quite known for being fairly witty. I think she was yeah. I think she Was quite quite thoughtful as a person yeah it's not necessarily a bad thing but she must have been able to hold conversations at dinner parties that was something she'd have frequented I'm not sure she'd have done it at Willy Wonka's chocolate factory before so we're gonna challenge her
1: yeah exactly (laughs) um but I mean you know that aside her writing is remarkable right you know and just like what was uh, I was reading uh, Mrs. Dalloway and just you know in the space of a a single paragraph. She moves from like a, a bird in the park that's like trying to get to a worm that flies up, and she, and she just in the space of like a single sentence, she just changes setting, right, and changes perspective. Um, which I don't think it's ever been done really before in, in literature. So just the fact that you know, in terms of pushing form and pushing storytelling, um, as a writer, like you know, she was pretty remarkable. So yeah, that's why she's there.
0: I uh, yeah, that works for me. That's a good enough reason <laughs> for sure. Okay. Yes.
1: I mean, given Good the arrive. theme of this dinner party, which is constantly changing the setting yeah. and historical era, like you know, Orlando, you know, there's a thematic link to yes, happens in Orlando as well, right? Yes, so, that's true. So we know. can discuss
0: that with her. You know, yeah. that'll be yeah. interesting. Okay, I'm not. I'm not mad at the choice. Okay, yeah. who is who is next?
1: Um. Yeah. Okay. So I started off quite Anglo-centric. So her, Virginia Woolf and then Mary Shelley. I mean.
0: That one I am on board with. Like, she wrote Frankenstein, like, at a dinner party, right? Like, she made that up as, like, a writing competition. So what else can she come up with in this setting?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and that, you know, most people credit that as being, like, the first science fiction, you know, tale ever, right? So, or science fiction work that was written, so... um, Was she, like,
0: 17 or something absolutely wild? Like, to have that imagination and to come up with that. And as a woman, to write something that dark...
1: yeah I mean and she had to be I think she was mainly hanging out with a bunch of men right so (laughs) I kind of want to take her out of that male heavy setting and just put her with a bunch of other women and just kind of see what the conversation ends up being like
0: yeah I think she'd be fascinating actually and I actually think her and Virginia would have some really interesting conversations I think listening to them talk and dissect writing would be super interesting
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah okay
0: so, i'm I'm enjoying this and we're we're flitting to somewhere else now, and somebody else is gonna show up, so who's next
1: um so then I move away from the anglo centric thing and and also in this scenario uh language is not really a barrier no. <laughs> so right um, so even though I mean this person may not have spoken English, who knows uh Hildegard von Bingen oh yeah, um is this I've. I've
0: heard. Heard.
1: So I'm just going for kind of notable women that have achieved stuff in history. Yeah. Right? Okay. Intellectuals. So her Wikipedia entry says also known as St. Hildegard and the Sybil of the Rhine, a German Benedictine abbess and polymath active as a writer, composer, philosopher, mystic, visionary, and as a medical writer and practitioner during the high middle ages. So wow. she lived sometime in, I guess, the 12th, 11th century. No, 12th century. Um best known one of the best known composers of sacred monophony uh which is kind of music um and was also considered by scholars to be the founder of scientific natural history in germany admittedly this is a wikipedia entry about something like a thousand years ago so i don't know how accurate it is but obviously she accomplished a lot if Um, her name has made it
0: onto wikipedia all these years later she must have done something
1: (laughs) exactly um and so, you know, here's an incredibly accomplished woman from like the Middle Ages. Uh and not Middle a age-
0: great time for women as a whole, yeah. generally.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean I think I think the secret was that she was in a monastery, <laughs> uh, not a monastery. I mean, the secret. She, she, she was a she nun. Was I think
0: generally that was the way to go in those yeah. times to be honest. <laughs>
1: exactly. Um, so she'd probably be quite all right hanging out with a bunch of other women, right? Um, it, talking about intellectual stuff. Um, but I just kind of wanted to get her perspective on how she did all that, and you yeah. know, just to have that kind of unfettered mind where you're just dabbling and just not. I mean, obviously not more than just dabbling, but where you're allowed to be a, a mathematician and also a composer and, you know, a mystic.
0: Um, I'm a mystic. Yeah. That's the bit that gets me as well. Like, I'm a mystic.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, in our day and age, right. You know, 21st century, like, you know, we, you kind of have to specialize in something, right. Like you can't do yes. all of those things. <laughs> Whereas she was like, yeah, I'm just going to do it all because, you know, I suppose on some level, like there there wasn't as much stuff that had been accomplished in each of those fields or. A yeah. amassed So she seems quite cool so
0: yeah I feel like she's gonna make me really examine my life choices <laughs> and she's that, like oh yeah I do this 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 and this and I'm like, she's like what do you do I'm like yeah I, I run an Instagram page <laughs>
1: yeah um well you know I mean but like I think even if you're trying to describe Instagram to any of these people they'd be like oh that's pretty cool right? that's
0: true <laughs> that's very very true okay do you have any other people coming
1: yeah oh so so Hildegard states that from a very young age she experienced visions right so oh. like obviously she lived in a time where people were more open to visions yes yeah and religion so you know if Virginia Woolf had lived back in her day would she have had visions or you know I mean who knows like we live in a day and age where we're not expected to have visions if we are then we're crazy right um, whereas
0: anything that's remotely supernatural is is a no and if it yeah. can't be explained by science then it didn't happen right
1: yeah yeah exactly whereas i think you know she lived in the era where that was more acceptable really um yeah. uh so then i um obviously very eurocentric at the moment so i want to expand so cleopatra oh yes
0: i uh, yes i've got a real thing about ancient egypt uh as a Ooh. whole start to finish um and that woman has had so many stories written about her i just want to know who actually were you tell me the truth like yeah, what is true well- here
1: what was she really like you know yeah so what was she really like you know I mean I you know for somebody to for a woman to have had you know millennia later you know still be incredibly famous um like what how how does that happen right how do you as a woman manage to like have a name that rings down through the millennia um
0: and I love that with Cleopatra the thing I adore about her is I really think her sexuality was the thing that terrified the hell out of men back then
1: yeah yeah you know, yeah. for
0: her to be, you know, she obviously had an affair with Julius Caesar and had a child by him and was unmarried and obviously married to her brother and he died mysteriously. But I just <laughs> there was something about her power and her sexuality, you mm. know. Mark Antony was also a married man and when she when they got together and I think that's why she's held this kind of status as this kind of bad woman, you know, throughout the years because she is almost like the paragon of what women should not be. You should not be a sexy pharaoh (laughs) seducing senators and generals and things. Um, And actually, I think that's what we should all be. So I would just want to be like, (laughs) 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 Cleopatra. tell me your ways.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's kind of, if you look at, you know, historical takes on things like she's probably like the the polar opposite of hildegard von bingen who
0: <laughs> you know wouldn't it be great to see those two women i mean she must have been educated yeah, I, she must have been educated beyond most women of the time
1: yeah and she obviously was very smart but she probably also lived in a time when you know you know women didn't have weren't expected to be intellectuals in any way no. so you know, your only way of wielding power possibly was to use oh, your yeah. sexuality right um yeah and she obviously did that like very well right <laughs> so um yeah I mean even just having Cleopatra and Hildegard from being in speaking to each other would be quite interesting I think so. it would.
0: I think I'd be absolutely starstruck to be honest like the others would be cool I think Cleopatra would walk in I'd forget
1: how to talk yeah yeah <laughs> she could also just be incredibly plain like she might not be actually that beautiful but she'd somehow the story, you know, she wore a lot of makeup. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) when
0: you see the busts of her as well, because they all seem to have a very, like, very, very proud nose, almost like Virginia Woolf-style nose, you see busts of her. Maybe we're going to find out it's a reincarnation thing. You never know. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. They look very
0: similar. But yeah, I think, and also beauty, you know, what is beauty then and beauty now has kind of changed. Even in the last, what, 20 years, the concept of beauty has changed. Yeah. So much, you know, when I was younger, it was you know Kate Moss be very willowy, very lithe, and now it's you know the Kardashians. It's a very different what yeah. the concept of beauty is, but it, yeah. I think it would just be her attitude, surely someone like that
1: must come with such confidence in themselves, yeah, you know that's true as well, yeah, yeah. how do you develop that confidence as a woman, <laughs> right, which I suppose is kind of the theme of. My yeah. dinner party. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean,
0: I'm mean, i guessing maybe you you are forced to marry your brother and then you kill him I feel like that gives you a massive confidence boost
1: <laughs> yeah or I mean you're already you know you're already royalty <laughs> so that's um,
0: true you already believe that you are you know a god in your own right that probably makes a big difference
1: yeah so I think like you know thus far all the women I've named are, are probably in and of themselves like you know we're quite we're born into fairly high social status yes. which is why that's they were true. able to accomplish yeah. so much um but not the next person right so um, again trying to um you know widen things um in terms of diversity uh Maya Angelou who um and was born into you know poverty essentially um in, in the American South uh and obviously I know why the cage bird sings like I had to read that when I was thinking like ninth grade or something like that wow. and it's such it's uh, there's really really funny incredibly funny passages to it but then obviously it's it's also her story of how she was sexually abused um at a young age um and then just how she ended up becoming she was mute for like 10 years or a mm-hmm. long period of time after that just because she felt like somehow she was responsible for for the death of her perpetrator um and then at the end of that decided she was going to start speaking but then she became a teenage mother you know all these kinds of things yeah. were you know, she had really trauma.
0: intense traumas it really yeah was, so
1: much trauma and so much stacked up against her from young such a young age but then ended up writing and creating art and you know, just the most
0: beautiful time. writing as well like yeah. the beauty that came out of that is just incredible yeah
1: yeah so I mean she's had to kind of survive in quite a different way from some of these other women like you know Virginia Woolf for example right who yeah. you know were born into higher social status and didn't have to deal with trauma in the same way she did so um I mean I'd be quite curious to see what she thinks of everybody else right (laughs) I I had to go through right but um but yeah yeah, I mean you know if somebody is a testament to like the human spirit and what they can accomplish despite adversity like you know it's Maya Angelou absolutely
0: absolutely I mean just uh, so far like what a dinner party I'm just trying to like picture it in my head I'm like, oh my, God. I wouldn't even be able to I would just have to just sit there and just watch. I would have nothing useful to add to this conversation between these women.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like I wouldn't be able to add anything. I just, yeah, same me, I'd just be, be watching. Um, uh, and then, so I've got two other names. Yeah, One, I'm very conscious of the fact I haven't put anyone Asian in, which is a bit ridiculous because <laughs> I am Asian myself. So uh, Lin Xinyang um, was a Chinese woman Um, I mean, quite similar to a Mulan story, right? Um, Her father taught her how to wield a sword, but she was a girl. Uh, She came from a lowly background, turned to prostitution after her family died. And then she caught the attention of the feudal lords um, of the state at the time. So he made her his lady. Was so impressed by her martial arts prowess that he asked her to teach such skills to all of his concubines. So That's a really
0: brave man. He was having all of his concubines, like (laughs) taught how to.
1: Yeah, The ego is
0: really strong with that one, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah so she trained a whole army an all-female army of concubines um and when her guy her man was captured by rebel forces her and her army rescued him um unfortunately Lin and her women died in battle but were given here burials burials by Zhu upon his return to the throne so i mean again i don't know it doesn't even actually say what century she lived in um so it's it's kind of a rocking story um and it'd be
0: interesting to see how much of it is true it'd be very interesting to say can you t- tell us the actual story tell us what really happened yeah again i think the audacity of a man to literally build an army from his concubines that takes <laughs> some, that takes some real confidence to be able to to do that um <laughs> or stupidity one of yeah. the two but I think it's really interesting I mean like you say like the Milan story is one that has like lived for centuries and again why is it we're so drawn to the story of a woman being able to fight
1: yeah yeah exactly although with Mulan obviously she pretended to be a man so she yes yeah mate, um to save you know her father and all that whereas in this story Lin and Yang, like she was a prostitute then became the prostitute to a very powerful man. Yeah. Then trained all his concubines. <laughs> so it's kind of this combination of her using her sexuality to yeah. so gain kind of a certain level of status. But then, once I think her and Cleopatra
0: status, would. I feel like they'd have some fun conversations. I'm not yeah. like I feel like Cleopatra would. They would. They'd bond. I feel like
1: yeah yeah and then once she has that status being able to build like a whole army of of trained female concubines
0: can you imagine how terrifying that would have been for men of that period yeah. to yeah. see like a horde of screaming angry armed women coming at them i mean i know very sadly from the sounds that they did not
1: succeed but that would have been terrifying yeah, well, they succeed to the point that they were able to um, rescue the guy. The yeah,
0: brother, they did. The <laughs> so, he, he did great out of this, so good for him. <laughs> right. no, not he returned well to his throne and gave them all
1: honours. Yeah, exactly. But all the women died. Uh, no, but her story seems quite cool, and I've actually... Yeah. Been- really know about her story until i started researching for this no
0: i've never i've never heard of her that's incredibly fast why has someone not written a book about this woman
1: i mean probably in china someone has yeah it just hasn't been translated but yeah no i mean there's there's some pretty interesting stories of women from from china from kind of eastern history or asian history that we don't know about in the west and
0: yeah my daughter has a book that is uh it's all about women across the world uh i think it's called good night stories for rebel girls oh yeah, yeah. it's very cool but that features some some asian women in there who are mm-hmm. incredibly badass um which we really enjoy yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially if they're <laughs> keeping husbands off of their thrones and taking over and things i live for that
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then finally um uh hypatia yes yes yes
0: yes hypatia yeah Yeah. very very ahead of her time
1: yeah and and again you know you know uh so wikipedia entry prominent thinker in alexandria where she taught philosophy and astronomy um so you know she was a female mathematician um who lived in the fourth century and incredibly accomplished but then unfortunately died a terrible death (laughs) um so I remember reading about her, like so I I had a um I guess in fourth grade so that would have been I was nine years old in school in primary school I kind of had a quite I suppose forward thinking um female yeah. teacher who was had us learn about female mathematicians, um so I remember reading about Hypatia and then like the, the detail that stuck was her death right because she was essentially accused of I don't know yeah I don't know if she said witchcraft but you know it was it was seen as not very good that a woman was studying um (laughs) studying uh, you are too learned this must be witchcraft (laughs) exactly i mean i don't know yeah was she accused of being witch or anyway essentially religious authorities did not like the fact that here was a woman that had like accomplished quite a lot as a mathematician um so yeah you've got
0: to nip that right in the bud if you are a member of a religious organization you've just got to get rid of that quick
1: (laughs) yeah exactly uh so right Okay, so this is interesting, right? So basically, because, again, her, the history is written in ancient Greek, so it's kind of people are trying to translate into modern yeah. understanding. A mob uh, killed her. Um, and so what I learned when I was in fourth grade was that they had, they, I mean, it's quite gory, they tore her flesh off with oyster shells from her body, possibly when she was still alive. I don't know. Um, this Wikipedia entry is saying something slightly different. Um, Maybe the mob had oyster shells. Yeah, but they <laughs> tore her body into pieces and dragged her limbs through the town, right? Uh, so I mean, pretty horrific, right? And so obviously, I'd like to. I don't know. I guess I would speak to her ghost. I don't know. Or she I
0: she can ghost? come back. We can yeah. bend rules. She can come back in some kind of corporeal. I mean, they're all dead. Right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but, but like, at what point do I? Yeah, I probably would have spoken to her after. You know, she comes back to be like, okay, well, you know what? Because I would be incredibly pissed off if I were her, right? You know, you accomplish. You yeah, basically,
0: yeah, you're too smart um it's not okay so we're gonna rip your flesh off with oysters now yeah hopefully girls will not want to do the same things that'll teach women kind of lesson
1: yeah but I think she'd be quite heartened meeting kind of the more recent women and oh my goodness
0: yeah I think do you know what the conversations that would swirl around that table would just they'd blow your mind wouldn't they
1: yeah yeah so I mean so anyway that's a general theme like kind of badass women throughout history but just to kind of see you know because it's if I had been born 200 years ago, I would have been able to accomplish a lot less. Right. And like, I think all of us would. So um, yeah, I think just that kind of awareness of the luck we have being born into a certain point in history um, or being born into a certain social setting, um, yeah. or a certain gender or body type in some ways. So
0: yeah, because I think people before us, women before us have, you know, blazed a trail to get us here. I mean, it's yeah. not perfect but certainly when you compare to even 50, 60, 70 years ago, you know, and then go further back and say, history has not always been very kind (laughs) to women in general, Um, you know, but we've made it here, which means there are women who survived all of those, all of those times and kept surviving to get us to where we are right now, which is pretty, pretty incredible. So is there anybody who's not welcome at your dinner party?
1: yeah any men I mean and like you know that's not you know I mean I mean, I don't want people to listen to this think I'm like a man here like you know I'm in a relationship with a man right and it's yeah I'm married to a man yeah exactly but I mean I think you know once you introduce a man into that dinner party like you know that changes the dynamic right um yeah so (laughs) um in the same way that with complicit like once if I were to introduce a man's voice I mean like I I basically didn't want any. it just
0: changes the tone doesn't it and I think and also, I, th- I think when you get a man in a group of that many women, that many, like, strong, opinionated women, yeah, I feel like it's a bit of, like, a fight or flight mode for men. Do you know what yeah. I mean? In that instance, they've either got to, like, bring themselves up to that level or they need to, like, get out. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't wish that on a man either to be brought into this
1: situation. <laughs> I mean, it would probably be quite intimidating for whichever man shows up. You um, imagine, you imagine,
0: you imagine, you imagine my husband just pops over it's like bring my glasses or something. He'd be like, no, I'm leaving. This is too much. I can feel the energy from outside the room. <laughs> so, I love it. I think it's a fascinating evening. Um, I love the setting. I think you've got some incredible choices. Um, yeah, an A++ for this this evening.
1: <laughs> Thanks. What a fun assignment
0: very good and before i let you go and enjoy the uh what's left of the evening are you reading anything at the moment
1: yeah i mean i'm always reading i feel like i should always be reading more um there's not enough time in the day yeah i mean a book i, I was just on twitter about this like a, a book i read actually a few months ago was um the manning tree witches by A.K. Blakemore. i don't know if you've read that but i
0: haven't read it i saw a lot of it it's got a really really cool kind of really striking cover isn't it
1: yeah kind of like woodcut type look I yeah mean, but... that's the one Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible book. I mean, it's it's so well, like, the the language is beautiful, but then also, like, you know, there's moments of suspense and just kind of the story is really well done. Um, Women, like, kind of marginalized, like, poor women during uh, kind of, I guess, the witch- yeah. the witch hunts in in England during the Civil War and kind of how their lives were affected by it um yeah and then I um uh, so I really enjoyed that um and then I just started reading uh Midnight at Malabar House by Vasim Khan Ooh. so um he's uh he's a crime writer here in in um UK and he does a lot of work for promoting kind of writers of color in crime fiction yeah. or just in general like writers of color so it's his new series which is historical and set during the partition of India Um, And it's India's first female police detective um, who randomly gets a phone call at New Year's Eve um, and a... British man has been murdered um right and its just shortly after partition so it's kind of set against kind of the political unrest yeah, yeah. of of India at the time but then also from a pretty cool um, female protagonist so um yeah so I just started reading that and finding that very enjoyable too ah
0: um, oh, that sounds excellent I do I do love a good crime book especially if it's historical based so um, I will put that onto my onto my wish list. thank yeah. you so very much for for joining Ooh. me it's been Thanks. an absolute pleasure.
1: Great. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for for reading and um, you know promoting good books and everything like that. And yeah, I had a lot of fun during this talk.
0: Mary redeemed a
1: fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino online.
0: I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true.
1: Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes